This is what just sobers you up. It's like, Lord, I'm not better than Israel. I, I've done that to your heart. I've, I've gone after such stupid low things in place of you. And he has to watch that. And I praise him. Worship should be the response of seeing that he is slowed anger. I think the word literally, patience, the the imagery there is long-nosed, or you might make it easier to understand, uh, long-fused. It takes so long before it gets to the point where it's given vent. It's poured out. Two weeks ago, and uh, it's a pleasure to be with you guys. But we have not too much time because Ray has informed me that we need to be done by 4.30. So that means I need, to, I need to be extra snappy. So we'll skip the pleasantries. Please do open your Bibles to Luke chapter 6. That's where we're going to be starting off as we consider a most glorious theme. And uh, it's kind of a difficult day to have time constraints because I just want to read so much scripture with you guys this morning. Uh, there's, there's so much good stuff and I, I, you lose so much of context if you don't read a good amount of what's going on prior to. But the, uh, the main emphasis that I want to draw out from the text uh, this morning is in Luke chapter 6 verse 36. The title of the sermon is going to be simply this. It's a question. Are you merciful like your father? Are you merciful like your father? And so I want to read from Luke chapter 6, and we'll go from verse 17 down to 36 just to get the whole flavor of what's really going on here. So let's begin reading in Luke 6, beginning at verse 17. And he, Jesus, came down with them, his disciples, and stood on a level place, with a great multitude of his disciples, or <laughs> with a great crowd of his disciples, and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the sea coast of Tyre and Sidon, who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured, and all the crowd sought to touch him, for power came out from him. And healed them all. Verse 20. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, And when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man, rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. Verse 24, but woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. Verse 27, But I say to you who hear, love your 
enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. Verse 32. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return and your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High for He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we who have been born of the Spirit here in this building have been the recipients of incredible mercy. You've been so unfathomably good to us in light of who you are, like we heard in the children's moment in Isaiah 6. You're so pure. How on earth can people like us be in your good graces, in your good favor? It's because of who you are. It's because you're merciful. Lord, please, as we just look in your word, just stare into your mercy, would you form in us greater Christ-likeness, Christ-like character, that we might be merciful as you are, so that we would look like you, behave like you, who are so kind to such evil, ungrateful, undeserving people, even evil, ungrateful, undeserving people as we once were before we knew you. And Lord, sadly, even after we know you, we fall so short, Lord, of appreciating you and your mercy. Please, Lord, be with us as we look to your word. Bless the reading of your word, Lord. Nourish your people. Glorify yourself. We pray these things in Jesus' name, Heavenly Father. Amen. Well, this is going to be our jumping off point to just stare into the mercy of God. That's my my objective this morning is I just want us to look at the mercy of God. And as we do that, to be conformed to his character in in that department. Um, When you read those words in Luke 6, you got to feel challenged, don't you? When you look at what it says to do in response to such horrible treatment. I don't think any of us have ever had to really put that into practice. I don't know. Anyone, raise your hand. Tell me if you've had to be hit in the face and just not retaliate. Anyone have to do that yet? I have not had to do that yet. I don't want to be put in that position. As a man, I feel like I would be extremely vulnerable in that moment to just grit my teeth and want to, and want to defend myself, want to hurt them back. Jesus is telling us something 
extremely challenging, whether you're a man or woman, challenging to our pride, challenging to our man instinct to just, you wrong me, I'm going to wrong you back. But he's telling us, he's giving us a motivation for why we need to behave this way. It's because this is what conformity to him looks like. It looks like taking so much, so much evil and, and not retaliating with evil back. It's overcoming evil with good. But I'm not going to do, uh, you know, breaking down every single little piece of the verses here in Luke. I want to treat this in a more topical fashion. We could spend lots of time if we went line by line by line. But what I want to do is just examine the mercy of God over the course of um, Israel's history. So I want us to just look at God's self-revelation of the way he is, who he is. And I want us to do that starting in Exodus chapter 34. So turn with me to Exodus chapter 34 for just a bit. As we just look, we're going to read Exodus 34, and we're going to go from verse 1 to verse 9. The Lord said to Moses, Cut for yourself two tablets of stone, like the first, and I will write on the tablets the words that were on the first tablet which you broke. Be ready by the morning, and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai, and present yourself there to me on the top of the mountain. No one shall come up with you, and let no one be seen throughout all the mountain. Let no flocks or herds graze opposite that mountain. Exodus 34, verse 4. So Moses cut two tablets of stone like the first, and he rose early in the morning, And went up on Mount Sinai, as the Lord has commanded him, and took in his hand two tablets of stone. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children, to the third and the fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. And he said, If now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, please let the Lord go in the midst of us, for it is a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us for your inheritance. So this is God, Yahweh, the God of Israel's self-revelation. And what's the first descriptive word that he says, you want to know what I'm like? The Lord, the Lord, a God what? A God merciful. It's, it, we take it for granted because we've sat under such truth for so long, but I don't get the sense that the gods of the day, the Baals, 
or the Baals or however you pronounce it, um, I don't get the sense that they were considered or perceived in any way as merciful. And so when the Lord says, listen, this is who I am, first thing you need to know about me is that the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. This moment here in God's self-revelation, it sends out all these ripples across time, across Scripture, and over and over again, I won't give every single one of them, but over and over again, you see people writing under inspiration, reflecting on and remembering and recounting and bringing back, just going back to this moment right here when God revealed himself this way. I'll read just a couple of them for you. Let's go to, actually, I'll do it right here. Where are we? Turn with me, if you like, to Psalm 86. If you got an ESV, the little title of the thing says, Great is your steadfast love. I'll just read verse 15 for the, for the sake of time. But here's, here's David uh, quoting and recounting this, this time in Exodus 34, 6. It says, But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And then watch what he does next. He says, Turn to me and be gracious to me. Give your strength to your servant and save the son of your maidservant. So this isn't just like a data dump for, for Moses or for David or for anyone else. It can't just be like, all right, I know that God is merciful. But it motivates the way that you pray, the way that you appeal to him. And it has to because the devil is there. We sang it just moments ago when Satan tempts me to despair and just slanders, whispers, you've messed up. You've sinned. God, God's angry with you. He's holy, holy, holy like Isaiah 6, right? The devil is such a native liar that when he, even when he quotes scripture, he's lying. He's twisting it. So Satan can take the holiness of God and press it onto your wounded conscience and make you look at the holiness of God and cower and crumble and die in, a, in an ungodly kind of way where you just feel like, I can't even accept mercy from him. I, I, I'm crippled and destroyed by doubt. And so we, yeah, it's, it's, the devil does that. This is a real threat. But da- David grounds this view. He reminds himself. He reminds his hearers. He writes music about it. He preaches to his own soul and, and, and prays towards God in light of, of this aspect of who he is, his mercy He's merciful, he's gracious, he's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And therefore, verse 16 and 86, turn to me and be gracious to me. Give your strength to your servant and save the son of your maidservant. David loves this stuff. Let's go just turn a couple pages over to Psalm 103. You'll see him doing it again. I'll read just the first eight verses very quickly. Psalm 103, Psalm of David again. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquity. Who heals all your diseases. Who redeems your life from the pit. Who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. Who satisfies you with good. So that your youth is renewed like the eagle's. 
Verse 6, the Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. Verse 8, here it is again, reflecting back on Exodus 34. 103 verse 8, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. In light of that, what do we do? Verse 9, he will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. I really like that. I want to pause right there for a second. I love how in highlighting the mercy of God, Scripture is always providing you the, the counterbalance of and, and highlighting also he is angry. He is genuinely angry. He says he will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. I mean, it could sound like two contradictory things. Like, oh, Lord, you're so merciful. You're so abounding in steadfast love. And then in the next moments, it says he's angry. He is. His mercy does not in any way diminish the fact that he, in his justice, his purity, his holiness, his righteousness, he looks on sin and it creates a real response of, of what? Of, of, of disgust, of anger, of offense, of grief. Holy, the Holy Spirit is spoken of. It says you could grieve the Holy Spirit. Elsewhere in Scripture it says you could outrage the Spirit of grace. So God's not all impersonal up here just getting angry because arbitrary rules have been uh, infracted or, or broken. It's, it's against his very nature. And so he feels this just, right, perfect, pure, burning anger about sin. That's real. We need to say that. We need to highlight that. But even so, that is in no wise contradictory to the fact that he's merciful and gracious and slow to anger. That's extremely good news for me, for you guys, that he's slow to anger. But it's also extremely challenging that we're called to be conformed to him in that manner. Slow to anger. Is that what you're like when you're in traffic? You slow to anger? Or is that what you're like on social media? When someone just pops into the comments, if you're older, it's always someone you went to high school with who just suddenly wants to chime in about why they think you're completely wrong about something. I deleted Facebook and Instagram a minute ago because I'm like, this is toxic. I can't deal with this anymore. But I was not slow to anger. It was like the bait was being dangled. It's like, hey, you want to defend yourself? You want to fight? I'm like, yeah, I do. I want to fight right now with that stranger or that person from high school. Slow to anger. This is, I praise God that he's like this. But that I have to resemble him in this way is extremely challenging. And this is what we're being called to by Jesus in Luke 6.36, saying, be merciful, how I'm merciful. And he doesn't say just to your beautiful, clean Christians who love you back. He says to ungrateful, evil people, people who curse you, people who abuse you. It uses really heavy, strong language. It's like, Lord, I don't want that. I haven't been challenged in some of those ways. I mean, the Facebook comments, this is nothing. I mean, one time when I was evangelizing, I got french fries thrown at me. But it's like, what's that? And I got to see one of my buddies. He got punched in the face straight up downtown by a woman, too. A woman just comes up to him, clocks him in the face. And uh, Jesus says, leap for joy when that sort of thing happens. Great is your reward. Um, 
what an honor when these things do happen to us, but I haven't been challenged in some of those ways as of yet. Am I going to stand up to the test? Are you going to stand up to the test when it gets harder to be a Christian right here? Y'all live in Austin, so you tell me, what's the temperature like? Is there a hostility? Do you feel it? You feel any kind of hostility towards the fact that you're a Christian? Do you feel a, a sense in which you're in enemy territory, enemy turf? I don't feel it as much in, in, in San Antonio. I don't. But I come here and I, I admit, I go into the grocery store, uh, I feel a little bit different. I feel a little bit out of place. I feel a bit, but anyway, that's a tangent. But slow to anger. This is what the Lord is calling us to emulate about himself. Slow to anger, merciful, gracious, abounding in steadfast love. Verse 9 of Psalm 103, just to get us back into the word. Verse 10, or verse 9, he does not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. So he is angry, but he's also merciful. He's slow with that anger. He's not capricious. He's not impulsive. He's not reactive. He feels the anger rightly, perfectly, flawlessly, in holiness, feels the anger and exercises restraint, slowness, doesn't give it full vent yet. Verse 10, he does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. This is who he is. This is what he's like. This is what David's remembering about him. I want to go again now to Psalm 145, just one last psalm, uh, just to emphasize how this thing that happened in the Lord's self-revelation in Exodus 34 was very important to David, very important to God's people, very important in Scripture, constantly. If I were to multiply the cross-references that draw out this aspect of God's character, we would be here far too long. This is important. Psalm 145, verse 8. I'll just read 1 through 8. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. Psalm 145, verse 8. Here he is again, going back to Exodus 34. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Let's keep reading. Verse 9. The Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all 
that he has made. All your work shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. I want to jump ahead real quick. This is verse 13. The Lord is faithful to all his words and kind in all his works. Uh, go to verse 16. You open your hand. You satisfy desire of every living thing. Verse 20. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. So David doesn't shy away from looking at how merciful, how good, how kind, how long-suffering and patient he is, but he, he, he doesn't shy away from saying, yes, the wicked are going to be destroyed, though. But I think this all thing, verse 9, the Lord is good to all his mercies over all that he has made. The principle of common grace here that we don't want to miss. Common grace is incredible. Common grace, the principle, you know how it goes, of the Lord sends his rain on the good and on the evil. It's so incredible that God fills an unbeliever's lungs, sometimes for the entirety of their life, with clean air, lets them breathe, lets them feel good, and then with the very lungs and lips and hands and feet and mind that he is actively sustaining and showing mercy to. It's the mercy of God that any of us live. It's the mercy of God that the unbeliever enjoys any good thing that he enjoys. I was having a discussion the other day with uh, one of my... uh, family members, uh, in-laws, and they're, they're just posing the question, well, what if, what if earth is, is like our hell that we have to endure and get through? I'm like, Chick-fil-A is not in hell. Flowers, sunsets, marriage, romance, humor, laughter. I'm like, respectfully, this is not hell. I'm sure some of you have heard this, this, this sobering, solemn, heavy phrase before. It's that for the Christian, this, this cursed world, all the thorns, the thistles, the sweat on the brow, the pains, the aches, the toils, the tribulations, this is the most hell that I will ever know is the suffering and the pain, the difficulties of right here in this flesh and blood. And then... <laughs> Just as Kenzie was speaking of, he says, it's going to be better than food. It's going to be better than video games. It's going to be so wonderful. But on the other hand of that, this ought to stir up our mercy and pity and compassion for the unbeliever. This cursed, toilsome, sweat on the brow, thorns in the ground, pain multiplied in childbearing, this place with all of its baggage and weight and heaviness is the most of the mercy of God that they're ever going to know. It's the best it's going to get. That ought to solemnly, soberly put in your heart a big compassion for nasty people. Frankly, just nasty people. People that are ungrateful. People that are evil. People that reject you. People that hate Christ. I find it so incredible. When, When we're in Luke 6 over there, you saw... All those multitudes gathered before him. He healed every single one of them. Knowing full well that a great many of them were going to reject him as the Messiah. And he was going to send them to hell on their final day. They were going to endure hell. And yet, 
people that are functionally his enemies. They're just looking for the healing. They're just looking for handout. They see the power upon him. They say, well, I want, I want comfort. I want relief. And yet he, he gives them the food. He gives them the healing. He's kind to them. He's merciful to them. Even though he knows full well, they're going to reject me. Two seconds later, they're going to be saying, as it were, as a whole, as a representative sample, they're going to be saying, crucify him. But heal me now and bless me now and give me all your common grace and send your rain on me and prosper my business and I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So bless all my plans, but don't touch any of my sins. The principle of common grace that we see there in 145 verse 9, the Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all that he has made. That's staggering. That's the principle of common grace that we see here. He is merciful, even, even, even to those who are never going to lay down their weapons of hostility. People who are never going to repent, he's still merciful even to them during their life while the window is open for repentance. The window that will close eventually. Very, very sobering. So what's the response to looking into the mercy of God in this way? For Moses, if we want to just turn briefly back to Exodus 34, um, you see immediately what he leaps into. I'll wait till you turn back to Exodus 34, just so you can see the response from Moses, the response that we should have when we become aware of and reflect upon who he is, his name, his character, his nature, what he's like. Again, for Moses, this is not just a transfer of data. Lord, revealed me your name. Cool, got it. Merciful, gracious. Look at what it says in verse 8 of Exodus 34. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. This is one of the responses that I can hope will be stirred in the heart of all of us as we just reflect on this aspect of his character that he is, first descriptive word, merciful, merciful. He's so merciful. And you have to remember here that this is coming right on the tail of what? What just happened in Exodus 33? The golden calf scenario. You just, I feel sorry for God in some ways. If I could say that with any kind of reverence, when I look at just the history, I mean, you read through the Old Testament and you just see the stiff-necked, constant pull back to, of all things, I really, I'm so curious about this. I need to study this out further. What? is it with these golden calves? They're pervasive. It was not just this time. They kept going back to this thing. They kept on worshiping this weird Canaanite deity and prostituting themselves, whoring themselves, being unfaithful to the God that they saw give them so many wonders. And my heart, I just feel it. And I, I, I can't just look at Israel and say, oh, well, it's them who's provoking God to anger. It was me, too. It was us. This is what just sobers you up. It's like, Lord, 
I'm not better than Israel. I, I've done that to your heart. I've, I've gone after such stupid low things in place of you. And he has to watch that. And I praise him. Worship should be the response of seeing that he is slowed anger. I think the word literally, patience, the, the imagery there is long-nosed. Or you might make it easier to understand. Uh, long-fused it takes so long before it gets to the point where it's given vent. It's poured out. He's, he's not spring-loaded, ready to just impulsively stomp. It, he, he has to watch so much, so much hostility towards him from unbelievers and even from his own people. Turn with me for a little bit to Nehemiah 9. Nehemiah 9. The response of Moses was, firstly, worship. Nehemiah 9, this is just going to flesh out more. I mean, because if I just say that God's merciful, context is everything. The history, the backstory, the stuff that precedes it is everything. I do want to read a good amount of this, um, and I, I don't feel bad about it just because of what you're going to see that it says. But let's just read some of Nehemiah 9, starting at verse 1. Now on the 24th day of this month, the people of Israel were assembled with fasting and in sackcloth and with earth on their heads. And the Israelites separated themselves from all foreigners and stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. And they stood up in their place and read from the book of the law of the Lord, their God, for a quarter of the day. For another quarter of it they made confession and worshipped the Lord, their God. Shoot down real quick past all of these names. Go to verse 6. So that's just why I don't feel bad about reading long passages of Scripture. They read it undiluted for all hours, a quarter of the day, hours long. That's challenging to me about what my expectations of church. I assure you, in persecuted nations where the Bible is scarce and meeting is hard, they are not content with 45 minutes. They're like, give me that book. I don't need your commentary and opinion. I don't need you to hover on one verse for 40 minutes and show me how deep you are as a theologian. Give me so much of the book. So that's why I don't feel bad about reading lots of this. Nehemiah 9, 6, you, this is during a day of just having read tons of the Old Testament and just letting it wash over them. And this is the impact it's having on Nehemiah and the people of Israel during this long day of scripture reading. Verse 6, you are the Lord, you alone, you have made heaven, the heaven of heavens with all their host, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve all all of them, and the host of heaven worships you. You are the Lord, the God who chose Abram and brought him out of Ur, of the, out of Ur of the Chaldeans, and gave him the name Abraham. You found his heart faithful before you, and made with him the covenant to give his offspring the land of the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Perizzite, the Jebusite, and the Girgashite. And you have kept your promise, for you are righteous. And you saw the affliction of our fathers in Egypt 
and heard their cry at the Red Sea, and performed signs and wonders against Pharaoh and all his servants and all the people of his land. For you knew that they acted arrogantly against our fathers, and you made a name for yourself as it is to this day. And you divided the sea before them, so that they went through the midst of the sea on dry land. And you cast their pursuers into the depths as a stone in the mighty waters. By a pillar of cloud you led them in the day, and by a pillar of fire in the night to light for them the way in which they should go. You came down on Mount Sinai and spoke with them from heaven and gave them right rules and true laws good statutes and commandments. And you made known to them your holy Sabbath and commanded them commandments and statutes and a law by Moses your servant. You gave them bread from heaven for their hunger and brought water for them out of the rock for their thirst. And you told them to go in to possess the land that you had sworn to give them. But, Nehemiah nine sixteen, but, They and our fathers acted presumptuously and stiffened their neck and did not obey your commands. They refused to obey and were not mindful of the wonders that you performed among them. But they stiffened their neck and appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. But you are a God ready to forgive, gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and did not forsake them. Verse 18, even when they had made for themselves a golden calf and said, this is your God who brought you up out of Egypt and had committed great blasphemies. Verse 19, you in your great mercies did not forsake them in the wilderness. Shoot over to verse 27. Nehemiah 9 is incredible. He's just summarizing the history of Israel. This is an absolutely excellent spot where you just get to see the overview of the history of Israel up until this point. Verse 27 in Nehemiah 9. Therefore you gave them into the hand of their enemies, so there are consequences for sin. Therefore you gave them into the hand of their enemies who made them suffer. And in the time of their suffering, they cried out to you. And you heard them from heaven. And according to your great mercies, you gave them saviors who saved them from the hand of their enemies. But after they had rest, they did evil again before you. And you abandoned them to the hand of their enemies so that they had dominion over them. Yet... When they turned and cried to you, you heard from heaven, and many times you delivered them according to your mercies. We just jump down to 31. Nevertheless, in your great mercies, you did not make an end of them or forsake them, for you are a gracious and merciful God. We've, he's just been reading the law for hours and hours and hours, weeping, sackcloth, ashes, confession of sin. And in this discourse, he just keeps emphasizing, after all that we've read, here's my takeaway. God's merciful. God's gracious. 
we've kept on going away, going away, going away, going away. He keeps on loving us. He keeps on being merciful toward us. He keeps on displaying this grace and merciful, not foregoing at all in the slightest the fact that he does visit iniquities on the, the children and their fathers down to the third and fourth generation. That reality is being fleshed out. And yet at the same time, not in contradiction to it in the slightest, his mercy is also there the whole time. Because look at how much provocation, 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 provocation to the stiff-necked people. And friends, we are very similar to this. <laughs> as Christians, even as Christians sometimes, you could just reflect on how merciful has the Lord been to you for all the sins that you committed, not just when you were a lost person, when you behaved in ignorance, but after being a Christian and knowing better. This is embarrassing and humiliating, and yet it also exalts his great mercy. Just to think of how much I've done horribly. I mean, think about it. Think about what you've done when you were a new convert, the way that you acted as a new convert in sins of just pride. You're saved for two seconds, and you're beating people up, right? You do that? I did it. Lord, so merciful to me. I I immediately went out as a misrepresenting evangelist. I I told my friends, I remember telling my friends, listen, God's real. You you with me or, or not? And they're like, no, man, I'm just not convinced. I'm like, you're basically dead to me. No tact at all. God could have decommissioned me immediately. Bench, you cannot be my representative. You do not get what you're about. And you see it over and over again with the disciples. I mean, they're like, should we call down fire from heaven, Jesus? No. You don't know what spirit you are. Peter, Malchus, sword in his hand. I'm helping. I'm helping. (laughs) Jesus immediately heals the guy's ear. How merciful is Jesus with people that ought to know better, even after we've already been walking with Jesus. We're just so dense. We're just so slow. I mean, I am. Maybe you guys are all just way better at this thing than me, but I've just made such a mess in so much of my Christian walk. And yet, because of this reality that he is merciful, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, that's balm for my dumb, scraped knees and bruised elbows for all the failures I make as a Christian still, even after all these years. That's why the context is just so important to read that. This is hundreds of years that in Nehemiah 9 that's being covered. And God, for hundreds of years, is looking at profound rebellion. And he's got a short fuse. That's balm to me. I hope it's balm to you. But turn back with me real quickly to Exodus 34. Moses' first response to this self-revelation of God, he worships, but then what's he pivot to very quickly afterward? Exodus 34, verse 8. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. He just, he, he's enamored. He's in fear, he's in reverence, he's in awe, but he doesn't stop with just his own private worship party. Verse 9, and he said, If now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, please let the Lord go in the midst of us, for it is a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us for your inheritance. 
So what's he doing there? He starts with worship, and then he pivots very quickly. Intercession. Intercession. He's not just praying for himself. He's not just enjoying songs and enjoying his view of God. But he starts praying because he knows that the people around him, he knows these people are stubborn, they're stiff-necked. And if we, similarly, will behold the mercy of God, what it ought to be doing inside of us is provoking personal worship of, Lord, you've been merciful to me, so merciful to me while I was lost. After I was saved, incredibly merciful, I worship you for your great mercy. But then it should also move us past just personal worship and bring us to a place of interceding for others, interceding for one another, and interceding for those who just have not yet bended the knee, who are still refusing him. The people that we would have been if grace didn't arrest us, we would still be in that place of hostility, blindness, rebellion, indifference, depraved indifference. And so Moses, in seeing the self-revelation of God and who he is and what he likes, he doesn't go and just stay in worship, but he starts praying for other people. And this is right in line with our, our, our verse here from Luke 6.36. This is what the Lord, he gives all these, all these instances of, hey, when they do this to you, do this. When they do this to you, do this. And then he, he, he caps it off there with that, be merciful as your father is. You're going to be sons of the Most High. You're going to look like me if you posture yourself like this. And this is just where the rubber meets the road for us in terms of practical application. Is The, the, the title of the sermon is, is the question is, are you merciful like your father? And where's... Your mercy tested most is when those kind of things are happening to you. Now, granted, we don't live in some super-duper hostile place where people are ready to do us physical harm, at least not yet. I have no idea what the unfolding decades are going to look like in America if there's going to be a heightened level of hostility. But as it stands right now, we're not super-challenged in the physical sense, but man, I have found myself, th- th- this is where, this is why I, I felt compelled to, to preach on this particular subject of mercy, is because I very recently had to really, really give out more mercy, patience, long-suffering than I've wanted to. I've got to see up close, here's how my heart responds to being mistreated, to being disrespected, and I see the chasm of difference between my my flesh's response and how I ought to respond. And it's been so helpful just to, to look. This is what has motivated me. This is what I hope motivates us. Looking at the mercy of God, finding fresh motivation and fuel for extending mercy toward others in light of just how much mercy we've been given. That's made all the difference for me in my posture with a certain individual. They're no one from San Antonio. They're, they're no one even from the state of Texas. It's just someone that recently the Lord has providentially put in my path that is challenging me greatly. The Bible says iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Sparks fly when that happens. It's not always the most pleasant thing. There is friction. There is agitation. There is irritation. But you both walk away sharper if you let it happen. But man, I'm being challenged in where do I measure up with this? When I'm sinned against, 
Or when I even just perceive that I'm being sinned against. When I feel slighted. When I feel disrespected. What's my, my reaction? That's where the rubber meets the road of answering that question. Are you merciful like your father is merciful? He's sitting here for hundreds of years with his people that he's shown wonders. And he's being patient to them. And then I'm here, a little worm. And then another little worm sins against me. And I'm snapping. I'm defending myself. I'm wanting to be angry. I'm seeing the way I am. And I'm like, but the thing, (laughs) this is why this is precious to me. This is why this is fresh to me. This is why I didn't want to revisit some sermon that I've preached before and bring it here. I wanted to bring what is going on in my own soul right now is that observing the mercy of God towards me has been a wellspring of motivation to say, you know what? I need to change the way I interact with this person that's challenging me. And it's been like a switch. I was, you know what your body feels like when you get stressed, when you get offended, when you're, when you're dealing with someone where you just feel like, oh my goodness, I need to keep my tongue. I need to bite on it. I can't, I'm, I'm going to say something wrong. I'm going to slip up. You just feel that tension in your body. You do not feel at rest. You feel agitated. You feel the fight or flight impulse. You even feel it on the internet. I mean, sometimes someone just puts that little comment there and they're always putting that little comment there. This is their, their habit. They, they poke at you and you feel your body just get a little tight. You feel you just like, ooh, I want to type back. Keyboard warrior, I'm going to put you in the place. But I'm telling you guys, I, I was feeling that. I felt that a lot lately. And this is what changed it all, is just, Lord, what I've felt in terms of offense, the way I have that disgust response toward the sin in another person times infinity I've been the guilty party putting that towards him it cannot my words are going to fail 100% my words are going to fail right now in trying to express just the gravity of how it felt how humbling and embarrassing and helpful and good it felt to just realize how gross I am. You, it's so easy to look at the sin of another person, right, and feel that sense of just like, oh, it's ugly. Look at, that, look at that speck in their eye. They look so stupid. They got so many specks in their eyes. Oh, man. And then finally when you realize, oh, man, I've got a log coming out. I've got a telephone pole coming out of my face. It just puts you back into such a place. Because you're agitated. You see other people's sins. And you're getting all hot and agitated. And you've got to defend yourself. And then you realize, I've done this to God times infinity. He's looked at me and felt pure righteous anger such that it would, only, it would just make perfect sense if he were to cast me into hell. Perfect sense. Because of how repugnant, disgusting, horrible, even my attempts at goodness have been in his sight. All our righteous deeds outside of Christ, in front of a holy, holy, holy God, it's like filthy rags. Nothing endearing about us at all, even in our best efforts, let alone our sins. That was just such a helpful reframing and re 
aligning of my perspective to be like, I need to swallow my pride and take whatever little offenses are being leveled at me um, or perceived to be leveled at me and just be merciful as my father is merciful because I'm not, because I'm not being that way. But the gospel is what did it. The gospel is what reframed my perspective as, Lord, I sinned against you this much, so, so much, even after you saved me when I ought to have known better. That's where it gets really challenging when, when you're having to do this with other Christians, when Christians sin against you, when Christians who you feel like, oh, man, you ought to know better. Why am I having to bite my tongue around you, brother? Why am I feeling hot and stirred up and agitated by you, sister? You're, we share Christ in common. What? But th- this is the charge here. It, it, of course, it's even higher. It's for our enemies. But we're, we're such infants in this grace of mercy that, <laughs> at least I am, I'll speak for myself. I'm such an infant in this grace of mercy that I need help even loving fellow Christians when they offend me in some way, when they rub against my pride the wrong way, when they do something that I perceive as sinful. So what growth there needs to be in my own heart, and I I suspect many of you will confess, me too. I need growth in this thing. I'm, I'm not slow to anger. I'm not always merciful. I'm not always... There's a quickness about it in my heart. That's what God's after, the disposition of the heart. It's not just, oh, do you go and fly towards the comment or not? It's not like you get the pat yourself on the back because you're like, oh, well, I didn't respond to the comment. But did you burn inside of your heart? Did you feel that tension? Do you have disdain for that person's name when you see it pop up on the internet, their profile picture, or just some person from your past to take it off the internet real quick? Just any person who you've just got something going on in your heart that you feel like, man, it's, it's just not enough that we should not act on the hotness of the impulse. But what the Lord wants to do is give us an actual cool spirit. I love Proverbs 19.11. Let me just read it for you real quick. It's so good. What's Proverbs 19.11 says? Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. I love that. I love how Jesus talks about it and motivates us towards this very thing, overlooking offense, and it's a precious thing in his sight. Let me, let me go back to Luke 6 over here. What does he say? I don't want to get this wrong. Luke chapter 6, 35, But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. That wasn't what I was thinking of. There's some part, place, I think it's First Peter, Second Peter, where it says that it's like a precious thing in his sight when you, when you suffer wrong. Yeah, I think it is Second Peter. Let me just find this on the phone real quick. It's good. Yeah, it's talking about just servants being subject to their masters. First Peter 2, you could turn there if you want, or I could just read it to you. But First Peter 2, servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this, 
This is a gracious thing when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure? This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you've been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. That's challenging. That's very challenging. But that's the challenge that I've felt in my own soul. That's the challenge that I've wanted to just bring this morning in the form of the question and the title of the sermon, Are You Merciful Like Your Father Is Merciful? Examine yourself and just look. Lord, is there, is there areas where I'm, where I'm not even perceiving that I have a quickness to anger? Is there a person, a relationship, a family member, a even random person on social media? Take those people that irritate you as just little alarm signals that the Lord is providentially allowing to come into your life to perhaps sharpen you and show you, oh, I actually am still this way a little bit. I know that I am. Men, I feel like, are maybe particularly vulnerable to this defensiveness and anger. I don't know. I don't know what it's like to be a woman. I'm I'm sure you guys deal with it too. I'm sure this is not something that anyone is immune to, even even children, even, even young children, teenagers. Everyone feels this. But it's a good check engine light. It's a good moment for self-reflection. Lord, search me. Like, like David prays, search me. See if there's any grievous way. Where am I being too quick? Where am I getting too hot too fast? Even if I don't say, even if I don't verbalize it, where am I feeling that and just suppressing it? Your sin, eventually, even internal hidden sin, it bubbles out, right? What's Jesus say? From the overflow of the heart, the lips, the lips speak. So if you're fostering and and letting inside of you that just unspoken anger, hostility, impatience kind of just fester, at some point it's probably going to come out. So the answer isn't just to have restraint of lips. It's to have the fountain itself be placid, calm, as the Proverbs say, cool in spirit. That's what I want. I want my spirit to say cool, even when someone's coming at me blazing hot, where old me would have just been like, oh, it's party time. That's how you want to act? All right, let's get into it. I want to be able to come up against something like that and just stay cool. I'm not there yet. I want to be there. I have to be there. As recipients of grace, this is non-negotiable for us. Jesus is telling us, be merciful even as your Father is merciful. It's imperative it's, 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 not, it's, it's not something like, oh, well, you know, I'll, I'll be a Christian. I'll adhere to these doctrines. I'll have the orthodoxy. But as far as orthopraxy, how I, how I live, 
I just need to defend myself when people come against me. I, otherwise, I'm going to be a pushover. Give your cheek to the person who hits you? What? People are going to walk all over me. People are going to take advantage of me. People take advantage of God, and he bears it so well. And there is coming a day. He says, entrust yourself to the God who judges justly in that, in that Peter verse, I, I believe it was. Anyway, I don't want to go on and on and on and on because there's too many cross-references here. But this was very sobering for my own soul. This is very challenging for my own soul. And I pray that as we look at the mercy of God, it will provoke us to what it did for Moses. He worshipped in response to the mercy of God, the self-revelation of God as being the way that he is. He interceded for his people. That's what we see going on with Moses. It was there in Nehemiah. They have just read the law. They've seen how good and patient God is, and they're just repentant, worshipful, intercessory, and obviously merciful. We need to be a merciful people, and that's what God is calling us to. And that's what he will make us by his own power and grace operative in us. Let's pray towards that end as we conclude. Our Heavenly Father, you are so merciful. Even this week, Lord God, what kind of sins have bubbled up in our hearts and minds? Lord, if we were to dig up the past the kind of anger and provocation, the kind of right response that you felt in your holy heart towards the things that we've done. And yet, you restrained. And yet, not only did you restrain, but Lord, you overlooked because of Christ. You laid all of your hostility all of your anger, your hot anger towards those things we did to provoke you, you laid it on your precious son. How would we be vindictive or hold on to our grudges if you, the Holy One, were willing to overlook from such worms, such, such people as us? Lord, thank you for the gospel. Thank you for what it does in our own heart to make us rejoice in the mercy you've extended to us. Lord, might it make us a more merciful people so that we resemble you rightly. Lord, we don't want to misrepresent you by being quick to anger. We don't want to misrepresent you by being abrasive, needlessly, argumentative needlessly, defensive needlessly. Lord, help us. Give us the wisdom of how to engage, rebuking when necessary, but gently. Taking the hits and yet setting perhaps boundaries so we don't keep on just walking into the pummeling. Lord, give us wisdom. Give us a merciful disposition of heart towards people, Lord God, who just, they're difficult. Even other Christians, Lord God. Even lost folks, Lord, who, who are never going to come, perhaps. Still, Lord. Father, make us the sort of people that you look down on and you say, this is a gracious thing. These people are behaving like me. They're acting like me. They're not 
giving, they're not treating other people as their sins deserve. Lord, there's coming a day when you will, when the window of mercy ends and the wicked have to bear the wrath that they would not let, that, they, that could have fallen on the sun on their behalf, but they, they refused it. Lord, we're so grateful that you opened our eyes to how precious your mercy is. Lord, we're grateful. Remind us afresh, even as we partake of the elements, Lord God, remembering what it costs you to show mercy to us. Lord, fill us with fresh motivation and treasuring of your mercy that we might go out and be a merciful people towards challenging challenging people that live beside us lord we we love you we pray these things in jesus name